And I want you to think back as you're turning there at a time in your life when you had a really impactful experience. I mean, something that was just so amazing that happened in your life that you just couldn't wait to tell someone about it. I remember uh, when we took our kids to Disney a few years ago, we went to uh, all four parks. And, uh, of course, one, one of our favorite parks was Hollywood Studios. And I don't know if I have any Star Wars fans in the crowd, but they have a whole area that is themed to Star Wars, and it's just incredible. I mean, if you've ever been... And, you know, politics aside, okay, uh, Disney, they do a lot of things well. And their parks are just incredible. Uh, you know, the, the Star Wars area, I mean, it's like you're stepping into uh, the movies. And just their attention to detail. Well, they have a ride there called the Rise of the Resistance. And uh, know that we had heard about it, and there was a lot of hype surrounding this ride. And, uh, of course, you know, we wanted to ride it. We were there with our kids. And, and, of course, my kids, they like Star Wars more than I do. And they were excited to ride the ride. And at the time, I don't know how they do it now, but at the time, you had to actually schedule a ride time. It was so busy, you had to get into a queue online. And uh, so we did that. We scheduled our time, I think, the day before that morning. And uh, we had a set time to be there. And we got there, and I tell you what, it is just incredible. Has anyone ridden that ride in here? Okay, a few, a couple of you. All right, so this isn't just uh, like an amusement park. You stand in line for two hours, and then you get on a roller coaster, and it's done in like two minutes. It's not that kind of ride. This ride, I, I, I mean, I don't even have the words to express how I feel about this ride. I mean, just when you walk through the line, they just suck you into this story. And there's live actors, and you just, you almost feel like you're in a Star Wars movie. And, uh, you know, just you go through and, and you're hearing about this story, and then these, these live actors come out and they put you on this, this ship for part of the ride, and you're going along, and then the ship stops and the doors open and they come and they take you off the ride and they take you to the I'm going to sound all you Star Wars people are going to hate me but I don't even know what they're called but the bad guys okay whoever they are you go into the bad guys uh, ship and um, they put you in this like uh, containment cell and this is all like part of the ride and um, it's just so realistic and it's just so incredible. And I think the ride is like 15, 20 minutes long, but it's, it's, just a, it's just an experience. And I remember getting off of that, and me and Leslie did the same thing. We just looked at each other, and we literally had no words. Uh, we, we were just speechless. And just, wow, that was incredible. That was just one of the coolest things that we had ever done. And we couldn't wait to tell someone about it. Now, I want you to think about a time maybe like that in your life. Now, as an amazing, as amazing as that experience is that you're thinking of, I want you to listen to this. It fades in comparison to the time when you had an encounter with Jesus Christ, right? And I want you to think back at the time when you trusted the Lord as your Savior and the events that surrounded that and what happened and how did, how did you come to know Christ. Now that 
story obviously would fade in comparison. Why? Because, yes, we experience joy in this life, and we experience uh, all of these things, but when it comes to our salvation, it's not only going to give us joy and satisfaction in this life, but we have joy and satisfaction in the life to come. Right? So our salvation obviously means so much more. And Pastor's been preaching this series of messages on investing and inviting. And he's been talking a lot about telling your story and about sharing your uh, faith and sharing your testimony. And we've encouraged uh, all of us to get gospel tracts and invitations and and invite people. And and that's what we want to do as a church, right? We want to invest in people uh, and we want to invite them, not just to church, but really invite them to know Christ. And uh, so here's what I want to challenge you to think about. Uh, today, why don't we why don't we ever talk about our salvation testimony like maybe the way I talked about that story? You know, maybe maybe there was a time in your life where you did, and uh, of course that's kind of proven. You know, you can read a lot of things about that. Like the longer you've been saved, the kind of uh, sometimes the less uh, maybe excited we are to tell that story. I know, uh, you know, when I've led people to Christ in the past, they've just been so excited, you know, and they can't wait to, to tell their friends or to tell their family. And, of course, sadly, you know, those, those, those emotions and those feelings start to, start to wane as we, get, uh, as we get further along. But what, why, don't, why don't we talk about our salvation like that? Like, what, what really happened? So I want to share with you this morning... Not really just about telling our story, but what, what do we do when God says go? Like, how do, we, how do we respond when God says go? When God tells us to maybe go on a mission trip or even go next door to share our faith with Christ or even go and, and just give someone at the gas pump a gospel track. Like, how, how do we respond when God says go? Uh, Exodus chapter 3, we're going to look here at the life of Moses, and what we're going to see is, is really how God calls Moses to step out in faith. And uh, I want to show you what happens when, when God summons us to step out in faith and go for him. So how are we going to respond when God calls us to go? Let's look here in our passage, Exodus chapter 3, and uh, we'll begin reading in verse 1. The Bible says this, Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the backside of the desert. Now, I want you to remember that word desert, okay? We're going to come back to that in a moment. And uh, came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb, and the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burnt. Now, here's what's interesting. Uh, This is actually somewhat of a common occurrence uh, in this time. Okay, It, it wasn't really unlikely for bushes just because of the heat and because of the lack of humidity. I mean, we're talking about being in the desert. It wasn't uncommon for a bush to catch fire. Okay, that was something that, that they would have seen. Uh, but what was uncommon was what? That it was not consumed, right? That was the uncommon thing. So Moses sees this bush, it's on fire, but it's not being burnt up. It's not being consumed. Verse 4, And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses, and he said, Here am I. 
All right, let's pray together. Lord, we pray that you would bless the reading of your word. Lord, be with us in this time. God, just prepare our hearts for what we'll hear. Uh, help me. Lord, just help us to be obedient uh, to your word today. And we'll thank you for all that you do. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so let me give you three insights here into the life of Moses and his encounter with God. Number one, we see this. God sometimes speaks the loudest in the most unexpected places. All right, God sometimes speaks the loudest in the most unexpected places. Now, it's interesting because Moses here is in a particular place of geography, right? Where's Moses when God speaks to him? What, is, what does the text say here? He's in the what? He's in the desert, right? So think of, okay, we, we all can picture what a desert is, and some of us have been to a desert. Think of a dry, just a barren land, uh, just heat, unbelievable heat, sandstorms. And so this is where Moses is when God speaks to him. He's in the desert. And so God is going to meet Moses here at 80 years old. All right, now if you study the life of Moses, you can divide it into three sections, okay? Moses' life are, are three blocks of 40. The first 40 years, he's in the palace of Egypt, okay? He's, he's working and he's serving under Pharaoh. Then we know that there's this altercation between uh, a man and he kills him. He's banished to the wilderness where he's working for his father Jethro. That's where we find him here. Uh, he's working for him for 40 years. He has this burning bush experience, which we just read. And Moses is now going to spend the next 40 years leading the children of Israel out of bondage into the promised land. Now, when God meets Moses, he is in a wilderness, right? He is in a desert place. He is in a wilderness. He's going through just the, the mundane routine of life. Now, you say, why do you make that important? There are some people in here this morning who would say, you know what, Daniel, I feel like I'm in a wilderness. I feel like I am in a desert place. Maybe not in a physical wilderness, but a spiritual wilderness or an emotional wilderness. You may say, you know, summer is over now and school is starting back. You may say, my summer was anything but relaxing. I've been depressed this summer. I've had a lot of anxiety this summer. Uh, I have a child that's, that's wayward. I feel like I'm in the wilderness. My marriage isn't what it ought to be. I'm in a financial stress right now. I just feel like I'm in the wilderness. Well, I want to encourage you this morning because the wilderness is actually the best place to be at times because God is in the wilderness. And when we go through these, these difficult times or these where we feel like, man, we're really in a desert place or we, we have a need and we're just going through tough times, that's many times where we often find God. And uh, that's, that's where we see him here. Because, you know, God is, God is there. And I want to encourage us just with that thought. Most of the experiences with great men of the Bible actually happen in the wilderness. Think about this. Abraham heard from God where? In the wilderness. Right? God calls Moses in the wilderness. God uh, brings manna down from heaven in the wilderness. Uh, Elijah is battling the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel <clears throat> in the wilderness. Uh, John the Baptist meets God in the wilderness. Jesus actually meets with his father in the wilderness. So it's encouraging sometimes to be in the wilderness, but I want you to notice what happens. Moses here is just going through life, just this routine 
of life. Now, what's Moses doing at the time of meeting God? What is Moses doing when he discovers this burning bush? He's a shepherd, right? He's shepherding sheep. And when we think about being a shepherd, there's nothing glamorous about being a shepherd, right? This isn't typically something that you would even really want to do, okay? There's not a lot of fame. There's not a lot of fortune. There's not a lot of recognition in shepherding sheep. It's just a, it's a tough job, and someone has to do it, and that's what he's, he's doing here. So Moses is just in this routine of life, and we see in the most unexpected place, God is going to speak to him. And God takes this bush that's on fire but not consumed. Moses sees this, and notice what he does. It says that uh, he stops, and he walks over, and he looks at it. Now, I think that's, that's the key. He looks at the bush, and after Moses comes to God, God speaks to him. And here's the principle. In the book of James, maybe you've heard this. It says, what? Draw nigh to God, and he will what? Draw nigh to you. We see this principle here in Moses' life. Moses saw this burning bush, and he stops, and he goes over, and he looks at it. And when he looks at it, God begins to speak to him. Here's this principle. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Uh, Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount, Knock, and the door will be opened. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. It doesn't say uh, that the door will be opened, and then you knock. It doesn't say that it's going to be given to you, and then you ask. No, you have to actually knock, you ask, and you seek for the door to be opened. And I wonder, just reading this story and, and thinking about it this week, I wonder how many of us would have missed the burning bush Because we are too busy looking at ourselves. How many of us would have missed God speaking? How many of us would have would have not even gone over to look and and draw nigh to God because we're just too busy about ourselves? We're too busy uh, on our phones. We're too busy with social media. We're too busy with work and with play and just with the things that consume our lives, right? Uh, And there's so many distractions and, and so many things. I tell our teenagers all the time, You know, we're not hearing from God because there's so much noise in our life. From the time we wake up to the time we go to bed, we're always consuming uh, screens and information. And I wonder how many of us would have actually missed the uh, God speaking in our lives because we're too busy. Some people uh, say, well, you know, God doesn't speak to me. Or, you know, I've, you know, I've never seen a bush on fire. Well, you may not have seen a bush on fire, but God always speaks to us through burning bushes. You know what they are? It's pain in our life, right? God speaks to us when, when, when things are unexpected, when things happen. God is, God is speaking. So pain in our life, that's a burning bush. Tragedy, uh, turmoil, financial stresses, God is speaking. If you've ever lost a loved one, God is speaking. You ever go through a battle with addiction or or, or separation, isolation, anxiety? God is speaking in your life. And the challenge really for us is, are we listening, right? Are we listening for God? See, God is always speaking. And And you may say, well, Daniel, you know, God doesn't speak to me. Well, do you know where God speaks to us the most today? You know, God speaks to us. We can actually hear from God every day. Do you know that? We can hear from God. And the way that God speaks to us the most is what? Today, through his word, right? We have the word of God. And I tell people all the time, God doesn't need to speak another prophetic word because he has said everything he needs to say 
in the Word. This is the Word of God. God is speaking to us through the Word. So you can't say today, I don't hear from God and have a closed Bible on your nightstand. You see, God is speaking, and God wants to speak. Uh, We just have to be in a place, in a position to really listen. So he does this sometimes in the most unexpected places as we just go through the routine of life. Number two, we see this. God always sends us out with a sovereign plan. Did you know this? That God has a plan for your life. Uh, You are unique, and God has a unique plan for you. So not only does God speak to us in the most unexpected places, but he sends us out with a sovereign uh, sovereign plan. Look at our passage here, Exodus chapter 3 and verse 5. He says, And he said, Draw not nigh hither, put off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt, and have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. And I came down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, and to bring them up out of the land into a good land, and a large into a land flowing with milk and honey, under the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. Look at verse 13. And Moses said unto God, Behold, when I come unto the children of Israel, and shall say unto them, The God of your fathers hath sent me unto you, and they shall say to me, What is his name? What shall I say unto them? And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am hath sent me unto you. Now, I want you to feel the weight of this task that God is calling Moses to. Uh, We don't exactly know how many people were in the the Exodus, but we can kind of piece some things together, and we can get a little bit of an idea. Look on the screen, Exodus chapter 12. You can turn there if you want. Verse 37, the Bible says this, And the children of Israel journeyed from Ramesses to Sukkoth about six hundred thousand on foot were that were men beside children. So here's what we can assume. Six hundred thousand men, okay, plus wives, plus children. On the low end, uh, they say two million uh, people went into the Exodus to follow Moses. On the high end, uh, some people, some commentators say between four and five million. Okay, so I know that's a big gap there. So two million, four to five million. Uh, Now that may mean nothing to us, but let's try to put it into perspective. Okay, so the state of Alabama has about 5 million people in it. Okay, so let's just use the high end. I think it was closer to 2 million, but let's just use the high end for an example. 5 million people the, uh, is Alabama's population, give or take. So God calls you and he says, hey, I want you, specifically, I want you, I want you to lead the state of Alabama on foot, and I want you to journey to Pigeon Forge, Tennessee. Now, what would our reaction be to that? Like, yeah, like, God, you're crazy, right? Like, you want me to do what? And uh, that was actually Moses' reaction. Moses says, "You, you don't know who I am. And God says, I am that I am. Now, is that not strange to anyone else? Like, have you ever thought about that? Like, why does, why does God specifically say this here? 
God says, I am that I am. Like, he, I mean, he could have said his name because he has a name. Uh, why, why doesn't God say, my name is Yahweh? He doesn't say that. He says, tell them that the verb to be has sent you. That's what he's saying. The verb to be is I am. So why is that, why is that important? Because whenever you have the verb to be, wherever you are to be, God is there. So for example, we could say, God was with me yesterday. And we would be right, right? God was with us yesterday. We could say, you know what? God is going to be with me tomorrow. And we would be right. God is with us. We could say, God is with me today. And, and we would be right. And what he says is, I am the God who will be with you. Aren't you glad that we don't have a God who is, will be with us one day in the future? But we actually have a God who is with us today. And that's what he's telling Moses here. I am that I am. I, to be. I, I will be with you, Moses. And, uh, man, that is, that is so encouraging to me to think about. And, and Moses says, but, but God, you don't understand who I am. And God says, I know exactly who you are. I mean, what a, what a crazy statement to even think of. Like, God, you don't know who I am. And, of course, Moses knows this. Like, God, you created me. Like, if anyone knows me, it's you. And, and, and God is really saying, listen, I'm not calling you because of your skill set. I'm not calling you because of, of your talent. I'm not causing you, calling you because of, of uh, your intellect. I'm calling you not based on your ability, but your availability. You see, sometimes we forget when we read this story and we think about Moses and, man, God's calling him to do this great work in Egypt and to lead his people out. Moses is a murderer, and he's 80 years old. And, you know, here's the sad thing. You know, some Christians check out at like 65, 70, and, and, and they just really retire from doing ministry. And they say, listen, you know, I'm, I'm kind of done with it. I've served my time. I, I, this is what I think. I, I think those years of life, okay, when you hit retirement, these are the, the best, most fruitful season of your life because you can go all in for God. I mean, you can just say, God... Man, I, I don't have the distraction of, of a work. I understand you guys still work, but I don't have the distraction of I have to be at work at a certain time. But you can really go all in for God. And Moses says, hey, look, I'm 80. God says, no, the reason I'm calling you, it's not because of who you are, but it's because when people see you, they're going to say, hey, the only reason that works is because of him, because of God. That's exactly why I'm calling you. So let me ask you and, and me these questions. What are the excuses that we give to God in our life? What are some of the excuses that we use? You know, God, I, I, I don't want to do that. God, I don't want to serve in that ministry. God, I don't, I don't want to go there. I don't want to serve there. You can count me out. Listen, the life that you may have always wanted could be in the mission that you've always dreaded. All right, I want you to remember that. The life that you that you think, okay, you think, man, I want this, this kind of life. The life that you always wanted could be, it could be, in the mission that you have always dreaded. Uh, you know, you say, what do you mean? When God uh, went to Peter, okay, and said, hey, you're, you're going to go to the Gentiles with the gospel. What did Peter say? God, I, I don't even want to eat with these people. I, I don't want to go there. I don't want to have anything to do with them. And, uh, 
God comes down in Acts chapter 11. He shows him a vision, and he goes on, and he finds his life. It changes everything for him. Paul, we think of Paul. Paul doesn't even want to be around Christians. Not only does he not want to be around them, but he wants to persecute them. He wants to imprison them. And Christ reveals himself in Acts chapter 9, and then Paul has this salvation experience, and he actually partners with Christians, and it changes his life. So listen, you and I can never say as Christians, I won't do blank, or I won't go blank. I made that mistake one time. All right, we, and Leslie probably knows what I'm about to say. So uh, Leslie's family is from Alabama. All right, her grandparents, they grew up in Hansville, which is outside of Coleman. They grew up there. They lived there their whole lives. Her parents lived uh, here in Alabama. I didn't know anything about Alabama. We got married, and we would travel to Alabama for holidays. Like, we'd come here for Thanksgiving or Christmas or whatever. And the only thing, like, really, her too, the only thing we knew about Alabama was... I guess just the route that we went to get to their house, it was horrible roads, the interstate was horrible, and I made the comment to her, I said, I hate Alabama, I will never live here. You remember me saying that? I said, I will never move to Alabama, and then here we are. (laughs) And we've been here almost nine years, and we love it, okay? So that's what I'm saying is, the life that you think you've always wanted could actually be in the mission that you've always dreaded. I said that, and, and here we are. So God has a sense of humor. But sometimes we say, you know what, I'll never go to Africa with the gospel. Or I'll never do inner city work. Or I'm not serving in, in this ministry. I would never do that. I would never serve there. Uh, you know, we, we, can't, we can't say no to God. Okay, because the very thing we say no to might actually, we, we may find our life there. And so we have to be willing as a church to say yes to really everything. Not that, not that uh, everything deserves a yes, but we need to be willing to say yes to everything. Okay, so don't, don't just like dismiss things and say, oh, I'll never do that, I'll never go there. We have to be at least willing to say, to say yes, okay? So uh, we, we listen to the Lord, we obey, we go, we find our life. We have to be willing to pack everything we own. If God says go, we go. If God says do, we do. And people may say, well, isn't it dangerous, you know, to go to Africa? Or isn't it dangerous to go to the Middle East? And, of course, yes. You know, obviously it's very dangerous. But if God is calling you to the Middle East with the gospel and you refuse to go, I think it's more dangerous for you not to go than it is to go. Right? I think the safest place to be is in the middle of God's will. You know, just to give you a little bit of background into my story, I don't know if I've ever really shared uh, my story um, with you guys, maybe bits and pieces of it, but um, just to give an example of, of maybe some things that we're talking about. So I, I grew up in a, in a Christian home. I grew up in a ministry home. My dad is a pastor now, but for most of my life, he was a youth pastor from the time I was just a little guy, just a little toddler, all the way up until I graduated from college. My dad was a youth pastor. And so I grew up in that kind of home. I grew up in, in the ministry and learning about the ministry and all the ins and outs. And my mom served alongside with him. And uh, so we grew up in, in a Christian home. My, my grandfather, who is my dad's dad, he's 97 years old and he's still preaching. Now he's retired from occupational ministry, but he just preached for my dad two months ago on Father's Day. 97 years old, he's pastored churches, he's um, uh, started churches, he's done all kinds of things. 
And so what, just what a godly example, you know, I have to look up to. Uh, so my, that's my grandfather. Then my dad's brother, one of my dad's brothers, he's a pastor uh, in Flintstone, Georgia, just outside of Chattanooga. And so um, he's been pastoring there for a long time, and he's been in the ministry. And, and then I had another uncle, my dad's other brother. Uh, he's with the Lord now, but he was a missionary, and he, he pastored churches. And so everyone like on my dad's side is in ministry and serving the Lord in that way. Everyone on my mom's side, mom's side they profess to know uh, the Lord. They're all faithful to their church. They serve in their church. And so that's kind of the world that I grew up in. Okay, I grew up in a Christian home. I heard the gospel preached at home in church. We were there all the time. Uh, even, you know, family gatherings, it was just Christian, Christian, Christian. That's all I ever knew, okay? But I also knew, because of hearing the gospel, that uh, at a very early age, that I needed Christ, that I was a sinner, and I needed to be saved, and I trusted Christ as my Savior as a six-year-old boy. So the summer, I won't bore you with all the details, but the summer going into my ninth grade year, we were at a place called the Prayer Advance. Many of you have heard that, Harold Vaughn. Okay, my dad and Harold were really good friends, still are. And uh, so we would always go to their meetings, the men's Prayer Advance, the student Prayer Advance. And it was at that student Prayer Advance uh, that summer before I went into high school that I believe God really spoke to me in a very clear way that, hey, I want you to be in ministry. I want you to serve in ministry. Now, I didn't know in what capacity. I didn't know if that was, you know, do you want me to be a pastor? Do you want me to be a missionary, a youth pastor? What do you want me to do? But I just surrendered to full-time Christian service that, that summer. Um, God then uh, said, hey, you need to go to Bible college. You need to get some training. And so I went to Crown College, which is basically in Knoxville, Tennessee, uh, it's a Bible college. That's where I met my wife, and we got married. And while we were there, uh, God gave me, really before I even met her, God gave me a burden for church planning. And it's something that I had never thought about, but, you know, I just wanted to be open, like, God, whatever you want me to do, wherever you want me to go, I'll do it. And so God began to give me a burden for church planning. And so I surrendered to that. Okay, God, I'll, I'll start a church. You know, where are we going? And started to pray about where. And, and God put Pittsburgh, the place of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, on my heart. I had never been to Pittsburgh. I didn't know anything about Pittsburgh. I didn't have friends there. I didn't have family there. I, I didn't know anyone there. I didn't know anything about it. I didn't know if, how many churches were there. But God just very clearly through prayer and just different circumstances said, I want you to go to Pittsburgh to start a church. So I said, okay. So we uh, got married. We rented a U-Haul. We packed up, and I had people even asking, like, you know, where are you going to live? Like, I don't know. God just told us to go. Uh, what are you going to do for a job? Like, how are you going to make a living? Like, I don't know. <laughs> of course, we were young then, probably, you know, really stupid. But Or maybe it was faith. I don't know. Let's go with faith. But, uh, you know, we were young, and so people were like, you know, where are you going to live? What are you going to do for a job? Like, I don't know. I just know God wants us to go, and so we're going to go. And so, so we... We get to Pittsburgh, and, and we get involved in this little church plant in the inner city, like 30 people. And um, we meet a guy there who's um, in real estate, and he's been flipping houses. And he comes to us, and he says, hey, you guys are moving here. We just finished this house. I was getting ready to put it up for rent. Do you guys want to, would you, would you guys want to live there, like, for free? 
until you can find a job and all that. So obviously we're like, yes, you know, uh, yeah, we would love that. And so God provided in that way. And then God provided like a really good job. And uh, so we were able to live there. We were able to start working and saving up some money. And, and we're going to start a church in Pittsburgh. And we really don't know anything about church planning. Again, we don't really know people. And so, like, how do we do this? Well, we need a place to meet, right? So we uh, pray about, okay, where are we going to meet? So we rented this conference, or not really a conference center. It was like a community center. We rented a room in a community center. And uh, we came up with a church name, and we printed off invitations and gospel tracts and all this stuff. And I told the Lord, I said, God, I'm going to knock on 250 doors every week for the next year. And we're going to get our name out there, and we're just, we're just going to do what we need to do. And so we did that, and it was hard, and it was long, and it was a lot. And uh, so we had like 43 people, I think, on our first Sunday. And um, we, so we met in that um, community center for about a year, and then God told us to move uh, to a different facility. So we started renting a uh, storefront, and this is a place that we had, like, it was ours. Okay, it was 24-7. I had an office there. We had a nursery uh, space. We had classrooms. We had a a bigger room for, like, our auditorium and a little kitchen and bathrooms. And so it was a really nice place. And we had a permanent sign out. And so we just kept following the Lord, right? I mean, God is saying go, and God is saying do this. And we're seeing God just provide every step of the way. It was pretty amazing. And so... It wasn't all great. Like, it was really hard and, and a lot of tears and just difficult. It was really hard for our family. But, but it, was, it was an incredible journey, and I wouldn't trade it for anything. And so anyway, we were, we were already there and getting established as a church. And um, I hear about a, a person that I went to school with that he's coming to that town. We, we didn't start in Pittsburgh. We started just north of the city uh, in this smaller town. But we, we hear about this guy that we went to school with, and he's going to come to that town and start a church. And so I thought, well, this is kind of odd, you know. I mean, we're really young. We're a really young church. And now this guy that I actually know, I went to school with, he's coming here to start a church. And so we just began to question things like, you know, God, what are you doing? Like, why is this happening? What, what is this all going to mean? And so um, I got his information. I said, hey, let's meet. Let's talk. We, we met over lunch. And um, I said, hey, I said, listen, we, we've been here for a couple years now. And, and, like, we're just getting established. And would you consider going just to the next town over? The next town over is in need of a church as well. They don't have a gospel preaching church there. Uh, would you consider going over there and starting your church? And he said, no, like, we're coming here. So I so, said, okay. So um, all along, we're just praying, you know, what, what, just what are we going to do? What is this about? And um, so anyway, so their church starts, and, it, and they're like a couple months in. They're meeting in a hotel. And the hotel calls them and says, hey, we, um, we, we need you to leave. And so they lose their meeting place. And so he calls me. This guy calls me. And he says, hey, we've been asked to leave. And do you know of a place where we can meet? And so I gave him like a couple different ideas. Hey, call here, call there. But if, if you're in a bind, we have this building, we have the storefront, we're really only using it two days a week. Like if 
you need to, you can use our building to have your church services in. We just have to meet at different times. So I just wanted to offer that to him. I didn't think he would take, take me up on it. So a couple days later, he calls me back, says, hey, does that offer still stand? Said, yeah, sure. So now it's really confusing, right? Now we have two like new churches, two like-minded guys, and now we're meeting in the same building. And I thought, this is crazy. This is just, this is just crazy. Like, why are we doing this? And so I really just pray, like, God, what do you want? And I really believe God completely changed my heart and said, I want you to step down, and I want you to just help. I want you to just help this pastor. And so, okay, okay, if that's what you want. So I said, hey, I called him up. Hey, we need to meet. And uh, so we met and, of course, went over all this. And I said, listen, I, I want to step down as the pastor. And I want us to talk about merging our two churches. You can be the pastor, and I'm just here to help you. I just want to help. And um, he, took, he took a couple days to think about it, but came back and said, no, I, you know, I don't want to do that. So now it's like <laughs> my mind's already made up. I... I don't want to pastor this church anymore. And I really believe God wants me to just go and help somewhere. So we, had a, we, had, we made the decision to close the church. And uh, we encouraged the people that we had, hey, you know, go with this guy. And some of them did and some of them didn't. And so we were kind of in limbo for a little while, like, okay, what, like, what are we doing? And so um, we're just looking for an answer. We're just looking for God to, to tell us something. And so we candidated at a church in uh, Pennsylvania, another place in Pennsylvania. That didn't work out. We actually candidated for an assistant pastor position in Savannah, Georgia. And um, they called and actually extended an invitation for us to come. We just didn't have peace about it and just said no to that. And then, long story short, this church came on our radar and your pastor and didn't know anything about Huntsville, didn't know anything about friendship, didn't know anything about Pastor Johnson, and just called, and we established a friendship over the phone that summer. And, uh, you know, God just made it clear to us, like, hey, I want you to go there. I want you to go there and serve. And so we did. And we came here, and it was kind of similar. Like, no money was discussed, like, he didn't say, hey, you're going to be making this. Actually, you know, he, he, he said to me, and you guys know this, if you were in the meetings, I don't know what went on, but uh, he said, hey, we don't really even have a line item in our budget for a youth pastor, but we're going to, we're going to send out letters, and, and our people are going to just commit to give to you guys every month, and, um, and you know, we'll just do it that way. And so, okay, um, you know, we agreed to that. That's fine. And and, thank, and and I want to thank you publicly. I know that was, you know, several years ago, but thank you for those of you that committed to give every month to our family. We really appreciate it. And then the housing situation, like with Mike and Judy, I mean, that was an incredible blessing. You know, they had just moved out, and they were moving into this new house, and they allowed us to live there. And, and so what I'm just trying to say is, you know, when, when God tells you to go and when God tells you to do something, it's not always going to be easy, but God will always provide. And God will always make a way. And, and, it, and it's pretty amazing, actually. 
to see like how how God does things. And so I just want to hopefully encourage you with that. Like the safest place for us to be is in the center of God's will. And here's what I know about the will of God. The will of God is never going to lead us to a place where his grace will not sustain us. Uh, the will of God is perfect and because God is perfect. And so God, if God is telling you to do something or if God is telling you to go somewhere, then you just follow the Lord. And is it scary? Yes. Do you have questions? Absolutely. But God will provide. God will make a way. And God says to Moses here, Moses, here's the plan. You're going to lead two million people into the promised land. And Moses is about to give four excuses, which seem, you know, like legitimate excuses really on the surface. But God's about to knock every one of them down. Because here's the last point that I want to make. Number three, God never accepts excuses from his people. Okay, God never accepts excuses from his people. Notice what Moses does. The first excuse he gives is this, which I think is a valid excuse. Excuse number one, he says, I'm not qualified. All right, I'm not qualified to do that. We see that in uh, Exodus chapter 3 and verse 11. And Moses said unto God, Who am I that I should go into Pharaoh and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? But we know that God says in verse 12, Listen, I'm, I'm going to be with you. And here's what he's saying. It's not about you. It's about who you serve. And we, and we need to think of our ministry like that. It's not about me. It's about who I serve. And God says, listen, I will be with you. Like, you're not going alone. I'm not sending you off. Like, I'm, I'm going to use you, and I'm going to speak through you. I'm going to, I'm going to be with you. Uh, excuse number two. He says this. I, I'm basically, I'm not authorized. In other words, like, I have no authority here, to speak to Pharaoh. Like, who am I? I have no authority. Uh, Verse 13, Exodus chapter 3, And Moses said unto God, Behold, when I come unto the children of Israel, and shall say unto them, The God of your fathers hath sent me unto you, and they shall say to me, What is his name? What shall I say unto them? And God tells them, of course, I am sent you. Uh, Here's what he's saying. You're not going on your authority, right? You're going on my authority. And when we think about just in the terms of gospel, the presenting the gospel message, whether it be with our words or passing out tracts, uh, we're not really going on our authority. Uh, we're going on his authority. And he will go with us. Uh, excuse number three, I'm not believable. Like, who, who, who's going to believe me? Exodus chapter 4 and verse 1. And Moses answered and said, But behold, they won't believe me nor hearken unto my voice, for they will say, The Lord has not appeared unto me. And God, already, God says, Look, I've already told you, they're going to believe you because of me. But listen, this is, I like this excuse. This is my favorite one, number four. I'm not eloquent, right? Like, I'm not, I'm not a public speaker. I, I, I don't like interpersonal relationships. Verse 10, Exodus 4, And Moses said unto the Lord, O oh, oh my Lord, I'm not eloquent. Neither heretofore nor since thou hast spoken unto thy servant, but I am slow of speech and of a slow tongue. God says, Moses, you are the exact person I'm looking for. Why? Why, is God, why does God seem to use people like that? You know, we see that all through Scripture. That God uses, I mean, think of the disciples. I mean, they, they weren't anyone, right? They were just fishermen and uh, you know, unlearned, you know, people even said that of them. These are unlearned, ignorant men 
Who, who are they? And this is what I believe. I believe it's because God likes to do great things with small people. And uh, God loves to do big things, great things with small people. Because when people see God working in you, they're going to say, the only reason is because of, because of the Lord. He says, I know you can't speak. I know you're not an intellectual. I know you're not believable. I know you have no authority. That's exactly why. In fact, you're a murderer. You're 80 years old. You're thinking you're already past your prime, but that's why I'm calling you. Now, I want us to think about, again, what are the reasons that we give of not sharing the gospel? Like, why don't we share our faith? Why are we not having gospel conversations? And I think you guys have valid excuses and concerns like I do, okay? And I have, I have these as well. So let me give you a couple of them. Uh, maybe it's this. I don't want to offend anyone. Right? Well, I, I, just don't, I don't want to offend anybody. Or I, I don't want to come across as being judgmental. How about this one? This is a big one. What if they ask me a question that I don't know the answer to? And that can be a scary thing, but we don't have to have all the answers, right? Uh, what, if, what if I don't know what to say? I don't want to be rejected. I want people to like me. These are all valid concerns. But they, they should not keep us from giving out the gospel message. These excuses cannot keep us from sharing the gospel. Aren't you glad that the person that shared the gospel with you had the courage to do it? Uh, and, and maybe it was multiple people, and I don't know how you came to faith in Christ, but I'm thankful that, that we have people who, who are bold and, and, and who have courage and speak up. Listen, we all have a story. Right? Every one of us in here who know Christ as our Savior, we have a story to tell. And um, I believe that our story is actually a stewardship issue. All right? Kind of like finances. Uh, how you use your money for the Lord and yourself. And, you know, we, we're a steward of our time. I believe that we're also a steward of our story. Like, I believe God is going to ask us one day, how well did you steward this testimony that I gave you? You see, we have a story, but we have to go. We have to go with the story. So how, how do we respond when God says go? What is, what is your next step? Like, what is God maybe calling you to do? Maybe it's, maybe it's hey, I, you know, I've been thinking about this ministry to serve in, but I, I've just been hesitant about it, and I'm not, I'm not sure. And, you know, maybe that's what you need to do. Or, or maybe there's like a, a neighbor or someone at work that you're like, man, I really, I really want to give them the gospel. I want to, I want to share my story with them, but I'm just, I'm kind of scared and I don't know what to say. What, what is God telling you to do? What is your next step? And I just want to encourage you that, hey, when God says go, or when God says do, we do it and we go. And, and, and I understand it, 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 it can be scary at times, and we have questions and all these things, but God is the I am, right? He is with you. He promises to go with you. And so uh, we, it's not about us, right? It's about him. It's about who we serve. And so um, I want to just encourage us to take the next step and uh, to go with the gospel. All right, let's pray together, and um, then we'll be dismissed. Tyler, it's good to have you back. Tyler over there, he had surgery a few weeks ago, and he's recovering. And pray for Michael. Uh, I think, is he still going to get to go home tomorrow? Maybe. All right, I'm going to go by there and see him when we get done here.
but he's in the hospital still with an infection, so just pray for him. And uh, But Tyler, it's, it's good to see you back. All right, let's pray together. We'll be dismissed. Lord,